Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. This has been an incredible year for me as far as being busy, and I've had, I guess, too many responsibilities. I apologize for not being able to to see every one of you that felt you needed to see me or to give the counseling that I would love to provide for you, but I'm just one person, and many times I'm not able to do all those things that I would like to do. It's so hard to say no to anybody. October and November have been the most difficult and the busiest months I think I've ever spent in the ministry and led up to the convention and then following the convention and a series of meetings uh, in Nashville and that finally it was it ended this last Monday when it was my first day to sleep late Uh, I'd been having to get up at at 4 and 4 30 and 5 o'clock in the morning and sometimes going to midnight for about three weeks and so I decided last Monday morning I'm going to sleep in and after the kids left for school, I unplugged the telephone and decided to sleep. I knew I had to speak to the diamond set a little later on in the day, uh, but I thought I could sleep late. And so I went back to sleep. Then the phone woke me up. It was the kids' phone. My girls have a phone, not, not to spoil them. It's for me. It's for my own sanity and to help me in not having to answer the phone uh, and uh, to do all the message deal. So the girls' phone was ringing. So it woke me up, and I went and answered. It was Shelby. She said, Dad, I left the book at home. I have to have it in 15 minutes. I said, "Uh, no problem. I'll just throw on some clothes, and I'll be there. Don't worry about it. So I threw on some clothes and uh, took off, looked terrible, Uh, took off to the school and rushed in there and said, Shelby needs this book right now. They said, no problem. We'll get it to her. I walked out of the school, got in the car, and started to drive off. Three women came out of the school, hollering with both hands waving in the air, saying, Stop, stop, stop. Well, I stopped. And uh, rolled down the window, and the lady came over, and she said, Dr. Lowry, Shelby doesn't go to this school. So I missed a year somewhere in here. It, it, it. <laughs> Have you had that kind of year where it's just so busy, so busy? I'm kind of grateful for December because it, it lets us at least look at where we've been and, where, uh, and see how maybe the year has been busy, but we need to just slow down a little bit and get a grip. That's what I like about the end of the year. Let's slow down and try to get a grip and regroup and get ready for another year. I want you to look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the very familiar story, the Christmas story, found in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I want to begin reading with verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths And laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. I want to first talk to you about the choices of Christmas. I see two choices in the way we approach Christmas. We can see it as pagan, or we can see it as precious. And I can understand why anybody would see it as pagan, because when you really think about it, if you go back in the history books, if you take a look, you will find that many of the things that we do at Christmas time find their origin in paganism, in doing various things to appease the gods. Many of our tra traditions, in fact, most of our Christmas traditions, came to us from Germany. We got some of them from the Dutch back in the 17th and 18th centuries. And yes, you're right, there are those pagan influences. And so there's some who just feel guilty about celebrating Christmas because they know of the, the pagan background and what, what all of these things represent. The tree probably came out of Germany. The soldiers, mercenary soldiers, brought that over to us. Martin Luther is the one given credit for one night on a snowy night, he saw the stars shining through the evergreens. He could see through the evergreen trees. He could see the stars, and it, it, and it made a beautiful picture. And he, he could see in his mind a, 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 an evergreen tree that had lights on it. So he went home and he put candles on an evergreen tree for his own family. And so from that we have the lighted and the decorated Christmas tree. Candles in the windows, a poor shoemaker lived way out in the country all by himself. And he was on a lonely road, and he would put a candle in the window to help travelers not to get lost. And then when that man died, in honor of him, the neighbors all put candles in the windows. And then from that today, if you drive down the streets in our city or in almost any city in America, you will see various lights in the windows and the doorways and on the rooftops of our homes. The stockings, well, the story talks about a disagreeable fairy who chose not to go with the wise men to the, to the manger. And so the, an angel from heaven ordered this wicked fairy, and sometimes called a, a witch with a broom, the angel ordered this wicked fairy to go to all the orphan children and fill their stockings with toys and with sweet things, with candies. And so we have the stockings as a tradition. Santa Claus, well, the, the story is the son of a wealthy bishop and his very charitable wife. And they died and left that fortune to their son. And the son who had the gift of giving gave away immediately the entire fortune, all of the inheritance. So when the son died, he was made the patron saint of children called Saint Nicholas. Commercialization. 
Well, it's taken over Christmas, hasn't it? Uh, and there are those who want to back away and say it's all pagan. It not only has, has, is pagan in origin, but now it's so commercialized that we as Christians ought not to get involved in it at all. And I can understand how somebody might feel that way because it is so commercialized. Now they start preparing for Christmas before Thanksgiving. And every year it seems to get a little earlier, doesn't it? I heard about one lady who was standing with her friend looking at a, at a store window display where they had a manger scene in a church and she made the statement, said, I cannot believe that the church is trying to horn in on Christmas too. You see it, uh, some of you will get that next week. It, uh, the whole thing is flip-flopped in that, it, it, you know, the world thinks Christmas is their idea and that we're just trying to get in on it as a church. So it is commercialized. And some say pagan. But there's another choice, and I think that that Christmas is precious, and that's my personal view. Oh, I know it's pagan in Oregon, much of it. I know that it's commercialized. I know all that, but I still love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the things that go with it. It's my favorite season of the year. And, of course, I have good theology for that. I have a good Bible background for that because Christmas is the coming of Jesus Christ into our world, into our hearts, and one day coming back to take us to be with Him forever. So that's why I get excited about Christmas and then the fact that Christmas emphasizes those things that mean most to me. I love the emphasis on children. Uh, I've loved children all my life. I just, I love kids. I love children. And I love to see them excited. I love to see the sparkle in their eyes. Uh, you know, you, you wish you could uh, keep them young forever. And uh, you who have young children, just cherish those moments and uh, those looks of expectancy and of faith and those, the sparkle in their eyes. Their honesty. Don't you love the honesty of kids? Uh, this one little, little girl was asked how she liked her new baby brother. She said, well, he's all right, but there were certainly a lot of other things we needed worse. <laughs> well, they've got that, uh, that kind of honesty, you know, that's just, uh, that's just there. But I love Christmas because it emphasizes the children and, and because it emphasizes family. You know, Christmas is such a family time, and it ought to be. We get so busy through the year, so preoccupied, but there's something about Christmas that almost forces us to slow down a little bit, at least to get together long enough to, uh, to, to decorate a tree or to, uh, to do a Christmas tradition or to have a party or get together, to just spend some time together as a family. That's so important. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I was on the boulevard, and a car in front of me was uh, driving at you know, the speed of one mile an hour, you know, something like that. And, uh, you know, typical for me, I was, you know, it aggravated me because, you know, th here, this is a wide boulevard, what, you know, why, uh, main boulevard, why, why are you driving so slowly? And, you know, I thought about several things. I thought about running over them. I, I thought about blowing the horn. Uh, and, it, you know, I just, I was just getting aggravated because, you know, I'm the guy that I, patience is not... Uh, not one of my virtues. It's a problem for me. I, you know, I, I get mad at the microwave because it's too slow. It just does not do as quickly as I think it ought to do it. And so here I am, you know, just, you know, in my car, you know, there, impatiently, not acting like Jesus at all. Why do y'all look so religious? You don't, you're not any better than I am. You, just, you have those same kind of thoughts. I know you do. And 
And I, looked in, I was looking in the car trying to figure out who would be dumb enough to do this and hold me up because what I'm, whatever I'm doing is important. Why are you holding me up? And I could tell it was, a, it was a man and a woman and two or three children in the back seat. And they were looking back at the children, pointing out the Christmas lights. And I thought, and, and I, guess, I guess it's the Holy Spirit then that, you know, that, that, uh, that just you know, gets to me and says, all right, Lowry, what is your problem? That's what Christmas is all about. Whatever you think is so important is not nearly as important as what that family is doing together in that car. You ever get preached to like that by the Holy Spirit? He just stays on my case. And the thing about it so aggravating is he's always right. Because that is what's important. And what's more precious than a family riding around looking at the Christmas tree lights and spending time together as a family? Maybe one of them get my girls and put them in the car and say, let's ride. We're going to see some lights. Because when they get teenagers, you've got to make them do those kind of things. But family is so important. And at Christmas, we emphasize the family. We make memories. We have traditions. And I encourage you to make quality time for your family. Make some memories this Christmas. Let it be a special time. Giving. All year long, 11 months, we talk about getting. And we're all trying to to get and to get ahead and to get this and to get that. And it kind of reverses at Christmas time. At least for, for a couple of weeks, we start thinking about giving to other people. Uh, I, I just caught, I just happened to pass through the room last night uh, when the news was on, this lady uh, who won that, what, six or $9,000 shopping spree in the mall? Now, that looked like fun, didn't it? Uh, and she was just, you know, going through there trying to buy all this stuff. But I noticed the, the comment that, that jumped out at, at me was the comment that she bought all, the several thousand dollars worth of stuff, she bought it all for family and friends, didn't buy one thing for herself. Wow, I like that. That's Christmas. She wouldn't have done that had it not been December. Right? It's only this month we do those kind of things. Because for one month at least, at least one season of the year, we're thinking about other people. What can I do for somebody else? The spirit of giving. Of love. Love is such a part of Christmas and, of course, the greatest love gift in all the world when God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, that demonstrated that was God getting specific about love. When God became human flesh and dwelt among us. And Christmas emphasizes love for one another, and love for people around the world, and love for God and for the baby Jesus. Fun? That's a part of Christmas. We just ought to have fun at Christmas, right? <laughs> at least at this one time of the year when, when we just ought to have a little bit of fun. Kick the leaves and do some things differently. Uh, just be good to yourself. Fun. Laughter. Isn't that a part of Christmas? Laughter's good for you. You understand that? Laughter's good for you. One good laugh equals two tablespoonfuls of oat bran. That's right. It's good medicine. The Bible says that. So at Christmas time, you ought to be laughing and you ought to be having some fun. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So if you're going to ever have an abundant month, it ought to be December. If you're going to have a good time and have some fun in your life, it ought to be in the month of December and at Christmas time. Here's the bottom line. There is no real happiness without Christmas. Because Christmas is the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and into hearts and lives. And my friend, this world has tried everything else and they're not happy. 
This world is, is disillusioned. It's becoming bitter. It's tried everything imaginable to, to become happy, and it hasn't worked. The only happiness is found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and that's what Christmas is all about. So for those reasons and many, many more, Christmas is not pagan to me. It's precious, and it's my choice. I choose for it to be precious, and so can you. We've talked about the choices of Christmas. Let's talk about the challenge of Christmas. Because it is commercialized. Because it does have pagan trappings. There is a challenge in Christmas to get away from the fantasy and proclaim the faith. That instead of letting it be pagan, we make it precious. That instead of turning it over to Santa and Rudolph, we accept the challenge and we let Christmas be Christmas. We let it be what God wants it to be. And we take all of these things that we do at Christmas and we find the true meaning behind the symbol and we use it as an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with others. All the Christmas lights, we've got them everywhere. This year we've got more on the, 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 the Civic Center over there and, and Shreveport turning on all the lights this year. We've got Christmas lights on your homes everywhere. Every time you see a light, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. In a world of darkness, the only hope was in Bethlehem's manger. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to be born of a virgin. Call His name Jesus, for He shall save the people from their sins. The light of the world is Jesus. The tree... Every time you see a Christmas tree, remind yourself and your friends and your family that it was on a tree that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's the reality of Christmas. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. It was the tree that made Christmas a reality. When you decorate the tree, think of the, the tree upon which Christ died. The gifts... The greatest gift is when God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, and when He offers to you the gift of eternal life. When you exchange gifts with your friends and family, that's just a symbolism. The true gift is when God gave you His Son, Jesus, salvation, eternal life. And you have friends and family that have not yet received that gift. Wrapping presents, think of the babe wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. The songs of Christmas, why, what an opportunity to share with people what those songs really mean. You can go into, into department stores and hear Christmas carols that have the gospel contained in those carols. What a great opportunity to share Christ. Only once a year does that happen. In this world that seems to be so anti-God, so anti-religion, at least still at Christmas time, they play across this world the gospel through Christmas carols. Let's tell our friends and neighbors what the reality behind those songs really is. It's Jesus Christ. And even Santa. I've always loved Santa Claus. always will. But you know, even Santa represents to me unconditional acceptance and love. I love to watch Santa Claus in action. He takes all kinds, all sizes and shapes he takes the poor and he takes the rich. He takes the little babies and the big kids. He takes them as they come and seems to accept and love all of them unconditionally. 
Now that's a symbol. The reality is that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for you and me. He loves us unconditionally, not based on our performance. He accepts us just as we are. And we get our security and our happiness in that solid relationship that's built on His unconditional love and acceptance. You see, the spirit of Santa Claus is just a little, just a little tiny fragment of symbol of what the reality of Christ is in offering a world unconditional love. So, I say let Christmas be not pagan, but precious. And the way we make it precious is to accept the challenge and take Christmas that's been so commercialized and paganized and let's dig down and find the reality behind the fantasy, the reality behind the symbolism, and bring it out and let this world know that the reason for the season is Jesus Christ, that Christmas is the coming of Christ. And that he's the one that can make a difference in the heart and life, giving us happiness and meaning and purpose. We've talked about the choices of Christmas, about the challenge of Christmas. And thirdly, I mentioned the change of Christmas. Last night as I was walking out of the singing Christmas tree right back here, I ran into Debbie Worley. And she said, you know, two years ago, Pat, her husband Pat, was saved as a result of the singing Christmas tree. But she said not only was he saved, he was changed. He is a totally different man. I live with a new man. We have a new home. All because of Jesus Christ. And it was a singing Christmas tree two years ago. What a great testimony. Because you see, that's exactly what Christmas does. Christmas changes our lives. And it's the only thing that can change you permanently for the better. That's what salvation does. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is. And when Christ comes in, He changes us from the inside out. Old things have passed away, all things become new. My friend, every one of us either has had a Bethlehem experience or we need one. We've either had a genuine Christmas or we need one. Because do you understand that your first real Christmas is when you invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life and save you and the change that happens as a result of that? That's your first real Christmas and it lasts forever. All roads lead to Bethlehem. Maybe I ought to preach on that. One of the great joys of my life was to take my family a couple of years ago at Christmas time to Bethlehem. And they go in that little church and then down those steps into somewhat of a cave situation, the grotto area, and there to see that silver star that marked the place where Jesus Christ was born, Bethlehem's manger. Because you see, every good thing in my life can be traced directly back to Bethlehem. Every good thing in my family, back to Bethlehem. A lady in Georgia wrote her pastor a letter right from her heart. She said, after David and I were married, we went to church occasionally when it was convenient. And we prayed when we wanted something. But other than that, we lived our lives exactly like we wanted to live them. And everything went great for a while. 
we waited six years to have a child because we wanted to, to build our house and we wanted to pay for our furniture and put some money in the bank. We got all that done and Brad was born. Brad was born with an open spine, water on the brain, club feet, and other problems. And she said soon all of our money was gone. As we went from one surgery to the next. And we realized we needed something to lean on. Someone to lean on who was strong. And she said we needed the very one that we had neglected. Stepping out of the hospital elevator, she said on a Christmas week with a baby in your arms seeing the Christmas decorations and hearing the Christmas music and not knowing for sure if your baby would live through Christmas. She said, that breaks your heart. One night after Brad had had brain surgery two days before, he started crying with excruciating pain. And the doctor talked about another surgery the next day. And she thought, I cannot put him through another surgery. She only knew of one private place in the hospital. It was, the, it was on the first floor, the restroom. And she went to that restroom on the first floor and got down on her knees and said, God, I give bread to you. You can take it. She said, it was like my heart burst open for me to reach the point that I could let him go and say, God, you can take it. And she left that restroom and went back upstairs to wait in that room for Brad to die. At four o'clock in the morning, Brad woke up pain-free and said, Mama, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Brad had been praying for our little brother. God gave them another child. Brad prayed to get to go to school. Brad went to school. And then she said this past August, on a Sunday morning in Baptist Church, I felt something move. It was the wheelchair. The pastor was given the invitation, and all of a sudden Brad started rolling his wheelchair down the aisle. She said, I, I grabbed the wheelchair because my first impulse was to stop him and make sure he understood what he was doing. And something said to me, you've met his physical needs, but this is something he has to do for himself. And Brad rolled at that wheelchair down that aisle to that pastor, and he received his gift of eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the only way anybody gets it is as a child. And that's Christmas. Let's pray. How many of you can say, I've had that Bethlehem experience? I know that Jesus Christ lives in my heart, I know that I'm saved.
If you can say that and mean it, would you just lift your hand and put it right back down just so I can see it. God bless you. Thank you very much. I want to thank you others for being honest. How many would go a step further and say, Brother Pastor, I couldn't raise my hand because I've not had that Bethlehem experience. I've not had that real Christmas. I've not asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. But I need to, I want to, pray for me. I won't embarrass you, I won't point you out, I just want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand up and then put it right back down just so I can see it? Anyone, anywhere, preacher, pray for me. I'm not saved, but I need to be, I want to be, pray for me. Anybody, anywhere? No doubt I've spoken to people this morning who are Christians, but who've been trying to leave Jesus out of your life during this past year. You've been busy and preoccupied. And Jesus has gotten the leftovers. I hope you'll realize this morning and at this Christmas that Jesus Christ deserves to be first place in your life. Because all the good in your life can be traced back to Bethlehem's manger in Jesus Christ. He deserves your best. There may be those looking for a church home this morning. We had some join in the first service as we normally do. and We'd invite you in this service to come. And say, I want to join this church and serve God here in First Baptist Bossier. Help us try to reach this city for Christ. We invite you to come and do that this morning. Now the devil's going to tell you don't do it this morning because it's too hard. There are too many different aisles to get into and we've got so much stuff in the way. That's the devil talking to you. Friend, you can find a way down one of these aisles. I've got, I'll have a staff member in each aisle. It's worth it for Christ. Slip out from where you are, some family, young couple, teenager, boy, girl, and make your way to Jesus this morning. Come and be a part of this church. Make your commitment. Father, speak to our hearts right now in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 